Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Boots and Backstraps podcast. Brought to you by Homes by Shane and produced by Danny Geo Productions. Come on now. Honey's on looking for backstraps way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. When the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps. Hey everybody, this is a show where we talk all things hunting and country music. From the classics through today. From big bucks to bull elk. We've got it all. Welcome everyone to another episode of Boots and Backstraps. I am your host Shane Michael and I'm joined as always by my well-dressed co-host, Tomcat, you must be surprised, or not surprised, excited about twin season. You know, the twins have got an amazing team this year. They I mean, do. I watched a game the other day, uh, one of their openers, and second one, and they just have, from top to bottom, they've got amazing hitters, amazing defense. I think they're going to the World Series this year. Wow. You want to call that a prediction? Should we write that one down? I think you can. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, my friend. They've got an all-star shortstop and an all-star third baseman, and we got some huge hitters. Yeah, the, the I mean, just, offense is amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable. And uh, the game I watched, 9-2, to 7-2, I don't know. I don't remember. Just routed somebody? Yeah, we were uh, playing Boston. Anyway, I think the Twins are going to do well, so I thought, you know, spring is here. Let's get the Twins gear out. I like it. Looks nice. Yeah. Well, How this are you? Is, I'm good. I am really good. It's been a busy week, and real estate's continuing to stay busy, so... Between that and the fact that we've got four tiny humans in our house, it keeps us <laughs> running nonstop. Um, and then you're going to be heading out of the the blanket of Minnesota soon or no? No, probably not. No. No. We'll, uh, I mean, hopefully at some point. I think we've got stuff planned for the summer, but yeah. But uh, we'll have to see how all that comes together. Yeah, I guess the hard part of winter is over. Here in Minnesota, if you're not from Minnesota, we had an amazing March. March is typically when we get all of our blizzards, and uh, this year, no blizzards. Warm weather, uh, the trees are leafing out. It's amazing here. It's so, funny to see all the people on social media platforms talking about how they're sorry if they jinxed us because they put their winter hats and gloves away already or they washed their winter jackets and put them away. And <laughs> It's like, you got to know better than to do that in Minnesota. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. And we're not out of the woods. We still could get something, but it ain't going to last. It's the sun's high in the sky, and uh, things are looking good. Yeah, Turkey agree. season is on the horizon. Yeah. And speaking of hunting, today we're going to maybe talk to some of the young hunters, uh, or young people, I should say, and maybe some of the gals, some of the guys. It doesn't matter what age you're at. If you're interested in getting involved with hunting, First, I would say, don't be intimidated. Right. It's a very easy, easy thing to get into. It is. And we're going to give a few examples while we're talking today. I'm excited, TK, because this will be our first episode where it's just you and I. Yeah. We don't. There's no third person on the couch that we we're waiting to, to roll share, to. Uh, Jack Daniel. <laughs> I like where your head's at, my friend. <laughs> I like it. I don't want to have to share. Speaking of Jack Daniels. We uh, probably need to get some of that. Well, we typically have a little bit to sip on while we're talking it. We have to talk about these too, TK. Yeah, these are pretty cool. Yeah, it was you a, tell me about them. 
So this was these were created by a fan of the show, and what they are is they're leather coasters that are wrapped in a sort of a leather um, string all the way around, and it's got our um, branding. It's got our logo stamped into them. So they're boots and back straps, leather drink coasters. Man, that's exciting stuff. Danny, what was his <laughs> name? I know it's Powell something. Tim. Tim. Tim Powell. So special thanks to Tim Powell for creating. It's Tim Sevilla. Oh, Sevilla. Yeah. Delicious. All right. Thanks to uh, Tim Sevilla for creating these um, coasters for us. They're awesome. Well, speaking of who created our logo, um, one of my god, my godson uh, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. popular name. He's a young white guy. He's not a basketball player. He's a skinny white kid. <laughs> skinny white kid. <laughs> Love him. He's getting married uh, this month. He is. Oh man, we don't. You know, you try to talk him out of cool- it. No. <laughs> He's marrying the coolest young lady, um, a former Minnesota Gopher hockey player's daughter. Okay. Mr. Boo. All right. And uh, they, they are so happy. And the story behind it, I'll have to share that with you off camera sometime. Sure. The story behind it is just as sweet as it can be. And we're going to have Michael here as a guest. We will. He's going to be one of our sponsors. He owns the uh, company Unreal. And they have. They do apparel. They do apparel. They have, uh, I believe, two NFL contracts, more than six, seven, eight uh, NHL hockey teams. And he's based out of St. Paul here and uh, just doing so well. He's such a, he's an amazing young guy. And, you know, I keep saying we're going to have all these colorful guests on. And <laughs> he's certainly going to be one of them. Yeah. He's fun, 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 fun. And uh, he's an avid hunter, and he's obviously a big fan of country music. Well, yeah. He's a big fan of uh, Eric Church. And one year we had Eric Church. I wanted Eric Church to do it because my godson is a huge fan of his. So yeah. I couldn't find him. Take me to church. Yeah, I was going to bring him up on stage and uh, introduce him to Eric. And I'm standing on the wing, and I look down, and just looking at the crowd, Eric's playing. And I'm looking at this one tall, skinny, skinny kid. And I'm thinking... Oh, that's Michael. <laughs> he, was right the, he was standing up there just staring at Eric Church, and I waved him over, and I went down to security and brought him up on stage, and and then I had did introduce him to uh, Eric Church, and Eric after the set, yeah, and he signed a uh, photo for him, and yeah, that's great. So that was really really cool. But yeah, he's a a real wee fester. We could talk about Michael for a while. We're gonna have him on. We're gonna talk about. One of the most incredible turkey hunts I've ever had was with him. I remember you talked about that hunt for months when I you guys know. got back. It was amazing. When we have Michael on, we'll share that story. Um, but enough about sponsors and stuff uh, and our logo. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about how anybody and everybody can uh, get into hunting. Uh, hunting is you know, the range of hunting is from hunting squirrels and rabbits. Yep. To hunting moose and uh, elk. Right. And uh, chasing around doll sheep. Yeah. In the highest elevations of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Or tar. Mountain goat. How about that? Yeah. Go to Europe and shoot some tar or Australia. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I've, I've never been to Africa hunting. 
Uh, I just don't for some reason. Used to do a fair amount of hunting at the bar, from what I understand. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting zingers here today already. <laughs> well, I don't know. It sounds like you filled your tag pretty much every time, so I don't know if that's a zinger or a compliment. Oh, no. I'm glad my wife's not here today. <laughs> well, that was, you know, you've been happily married for a couple decades plus, so. Three decades. Three decades. Yeah. Yeah, so this is. This is quite a this is quite a while ago, Lynn. It's quite a while ago. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, but we may as well jump right into it. I would say, you know, yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna say, uh, as part of today's episode, is sort of like a lead-in, so people get a, a feel. In addition to what you said, um, that what we want to cover is just the the facts that we're going to go over with folks, and kind of the the time, not timeline, but the steps that a person goes through to get involved in the hunting industry or the hunting sport, the hunting pastime, the hunting hobby, however you want to phrase it, um, is the same regardless of what you want to hunt. So you could be a waterfowl person or like you mentioned, big game, or you could be just a guy that likes to go out in the woods and shoot some squirrels and birds and, you know, whatever. Well, yeah. Um, I think, you know, these kids, uh, whether they're born in the city or whether they're born on a farm, mm-hmm. um, if they have parents that are hunting, I think they're just so blessed. Right. Um, my dad did hunt, but my dad uh, was born in 1902, so he passed when I was 16, and we didn't have much opportunity. Uh, it varies from state to state how old you have to be, but if you're with a parent, you can certainly go at any age, but... I don't know how if it's legal for the if a kid's only eight years old. Um, I don't think it's a, a great idea. Yeah, Killer Kyle, maybe you can look on the Minnesota. I think rules. you have to be twelve years old. In how Minnesota. old do you have to be to some legally states? Hunt I think Minnesota. are ten. Um, it's real debatable um, as to whether you're starting kids too early. I mean, if they grow up with it, yeah, and they're with their father, and if your father thinks you can handle. A crossbow or a bow or a rifle, twenty-two or something. Yeah, then it's obviously up to their discretion. But you're not getting much kick out of a twenty-two. Personally, I wouldn't want to start them too early. I'd want to perk their enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, as we go, but you know that's a, a parent's decision. But getting kids in, you know, I, I mentor at my local church, and uh, I've taken a lot of the kids that I mentor. They're high school kids taken a lot of them hunting. But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, I guess we should say that um, if you're a gal, a young person, older guy, it doesn't matter, uh, I think one of the first things you should do is get your hunting or hunter's, excuse me, your hunter's training card. Yeah, so the hunter's safety card. Right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, uh, luckily, they can do it online, right? Which we discovered, and we'll tell that story. <laughs> um, but essentially, that's the first step, right, TK? Yeah, it is the first step. Uh, and again, unless you're be- we, and you have to be a certain age, depending on the state you're in, to do that. Yep. And there's certainly uh, adv- ad- it's advantageous for a kid to go out with his parents again. Yeah. We'll keep t- touching on that topic. At the very least, the- to tag along. For Minnesota, big game hunting license is required for all hunters 10 years of age or older. Oh, okay. Uh, if you're 13 or younger, you must be accompanied by a parent or guardian while hunting, and they have to also be uh, licensed to be able to hunt. Well, right. there you go. So it was 12 years old for many years. Now uh, we've moved it to 10. <laughs> and I think a lot of people will agree that's more 
a product of economics than it is uh, anything else. Uh, right, right, exactly. The DNR is losing a little bit of their funding along the road, and they're doing many things and anything to uh, boost their uh, opportunities to make income, and that's one of them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there are two cards. You know, there's a firearm safety card, mm-hmm. which whether you're into archery or whatever, I think it's pretty much the same principle as it's common sense out in the field how you would handle a weapon. Mm-hmm. A hunter's safety is a little bit more about hunter and the safety in hunting. So I would encourage uh, any kid or adult or young lady, uh, go take both of those tests. And you know what? They're not expensive. It's really cheap to do, and it's really fun. Yeah, the firearm safety is more blanket to anything related to firearms right. usage, care, safety, etc. Right. So whether you're planning to sport shoot or whether you're planning to hunt or whether you're planning to just recreationally shoot, it's all about that. Right, right. And the hunter safety is all weapons. Right. So it's archery, it's shotgun, it's rifle, it's muzzleloader, it's all these different options for hunting weapons mm-hmm. um, wrapped into kind of one for the purpose of hunting. Yeah, I think the common sense of firearm safety and hunter safety, they both carry over. Yeah. I would just encourage anyone to do both. Yeah, of course. Um, and then I, I guess we should talk about which hunting. And again, if you have a parent that hunts, it's probably what they choose to take you out. But I have found when I started out and my dad had passed, you know, I, my mother would drive me over to Matamidi where we had family farms. And I, she just dropped me off and let me wander around when I shoot squirrels with my twenty-two, mm-hmm. single shot twenty-two, and uh, that was I love. I was hooked. I just wander around. And I couldn't believe that I'd always come out to the same spot where she dropped me off. <laughs> I mean, I'm wandering around in the woods, but I was fortunate that I, I, I figured out which direction I was going. But I'd shoot some squirrels and then occasionally a rabbit. Uh, Excellent way to get a young person involved with hunting. My favorite way, and we touched on this in one of the other episodes, is turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, I don't want to say turkey hunting is an easy sport. Sometimes it can be, and sometimes it's, you're banging your head against the wall trying to figure out those birds. Um, but, you know, if you have a youth or a novice, you know, whether it be a guy or a girl, you know, you can sit in a blind, or you can run and gun. You can, but it's just you know, after a long winter, it's such a wonderful experience to be in the woods. Maybe you find some morel mushrooms. You're seeing all the birds uh, coming back, and you're just seeing this wildlife. And if you see a deer, or maybe even a buck, and they've got the little nubs going, mm-hmm. and it's such a great, great time to be in the woods and. I mean, it's a real eye-opener, especially for a kid, you know, to see all of this going on. And then if you're fortunate enough to call in a turkey, and you're going to probably probably going to see some turkeys because they're so prevalent here in Minnesota. Um, But if you get that one in close, I'm telling you, I remember my first turkey, and I'd been hunting for quite a few years. And I swear that first gobbler, he was following like 10 hens. Oh, boy. And I'm thinking. You know, like John Travolta strolling across that field. Yeah, oh, he was going up on a ridge. I was down in a bowl, and I thought, well, there's no way. And I'm bow hunting. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't my first turkey, but it was one of the first hunts, and I thought, 
there's no way I'm going to call and he's going to leave all those hands. Mm -hmm. So I called and he stopped and he looked down and he saw my decoy, which, by the way, was a piece of wood cut in the silhouette of a turkey, painted grays. And <clears throat> back then, that's what you used. Sure. And his pre Montana decoy. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't believe it. It didn't, I don't know how much time it took, maybe 10, 15 minutes. But there's that turkey coming down to my decoy. Wow. I could not believe he left his hands. I'm used, still using that same box. What model. a greedy little bugger. Oh, man. <laughs> well, so hey, I'm sitting hey, Tom, with a bowl. Do you know what's better than 10 hens? <laughs> what? 11. 11. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Use, use the term running gun. What, what do you mean yeah. when you say that? Thanks for asking that. Uh, um, there's a couple ways of uh, hunting turkeys. Well, there's a lot of ways, but I think the most a lot of people like to use the the ground blinds these days and set their decoys out. That way, you can take a nap or you can get away <laughs> with a lot of movement. But I I've, maybe I've used those once. Yes, as a matter of fact, Michael and I shot a couple of monster turkeys out of a ground blind. Um, but I prefer to put my back up against a tree, uh, get on a field edge in the morning listen to where they're gobbling from and if i'm on a good food source and if you do your scouting scouting is the biggest thing in turkey hunting uh, it can be uh, it can make turkey hunting so easy if you get out there a day or two ahead of time and you see where the turkeys are coming out and certainly if they're coming out in the same spot two days in a row well you go there and you sit and you make sure you're concealed well and you have really really good chances of harvesting a turkey that way but I like to sit there. I don't typically have a time because I go down by Caledonia, and I don't get there early enough to do any scouting. But I know the land pretty well and the terrain, so I stand on a field. It helps edge. when you've hunted the same place a lot. Oh, yeah, big time. You know their patterns mm -hmm. and where they like to hang out. And then if I hear a gobble before the sun's coming up, you know, I get over in that area and set up, put my back up against a tree. So to answer your question, Kyle, not having any luck there um, I think patience is really important you should probably stay in the same spot longer than you think but uh, if I've got a ridge I'll maybe move down that ridge a hundred yards and then I'll call again and if anything answers then I'm going to set up but and then if nothing I wait a little while nothing 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 and then I move down the ridge another hundred yards call again that's called running and gunning uh, you're moving down the ridge, you're calling, and you're setting up. And if you hear a gobbler within range, I mean within a few hundred yards, and then you can set up and possibly call them in. Right. So that's running and gunning. Um, Versus setting up camp in one spot and just staying there all day. Yeah, and I've done that. Sure. So I have a question. So if you are new, um, do you feel like first step is, okay, so pick – Pick your tool, right? What is going to be your tool? Well, first step is definitely get your hunter safety because it covers all the different weapon options. And once you've accomplished the hunter safety, then the next thing is to decide, you know, what weapon you want to become proficient in. Now, certainly some hunters like Tom have multiple decades of being proficient in several different weapons. Tom hunts with a shotgun. Tom hunts with a rifle. Tom hunts with a muzzleloader. Tom's obviously an accomplished archer. And so you could go down that road, but to go down that road, you better have deep pockets, we'll say. 
Yeah, the weapons typically aren't cheap. Uh, no. But you can acquire those over the years. And yeah. whatever your interest is, you know, I shoot in two archery leagues, and those guys are diehard bow hunters, and they'll hunt turkeys with bow, and they'll hunt deer and elk and whatever they hunt, mm -hmm. and some of them won't touch a firearm. Me, the reason I hunt with so many weapons, it's just one more reason to get me out into the woods or one more opportunity, I should yeah. say. Um, if it's a bow hunt and it opens before fire, well, I want to get out there and I want to be bow hunting. And then when rifle season comes along, I want to be rifle hunting and so on and so forth. So, and it gives, it opens up more options out West as well. Uh, yeah, it's last... easier to get an archery license typically than uh, a firearm license in a lot of the Western states. And well, because they have different seasons, you know, that, that, yeah. you know, this, this date to this date is archery only. This date to this date is first rifle. This date to right, this right. date, second rifle. You know, or a deer season in Minnesota, it's like, you know, the two weekends, right? The two weeks. Well, I remember when uh, you'd buy a license for 200, an elk license in Colorado for $250, and bang, you'd go, uh, a rifle and, and or bow. And now every state out west, and, and Minnesota, all the states, they're broken down into um, sections. You know, they're broken down into seasons. And usually it goes youth and then archery and then kind of multiple rifle hunting seasons. Yeah, right? and then multiple archery, multiple muscle odor. It's just you. What does youth mean? Ute. Youth. The ute. Youth. Youth. <laughs> youth. Yeah, that's, youth. Your, that's considered your um, 12 and under folks get their own season where they're not having to compete with other older experienced hunters out in public land specifically. And so they get a season that's dedicated to their age group where they can go out and they can hunt. And usually they get some more flexibility on weapon usage as well. Whereas an older hunter, like an adult hunter, like Tom and I, archery is always the first season and you absolutely cannot use a firearm in archery season. And then archery season will continue basically for several months, but then they'll start a firearm season after about a month or so of archery. So you'll have the option at that point of continuing to use your bow or to break out your firearm. And then again, uh, so many places are different and seasons are different. And even though what you're saying is typically true, um, they used to have a ranching for wildlife tag in Colorado. If you were hunting on private land, it's completely opposite of what is people are typically used to. Um, you could use a firearm on a private ranch during the archery season. Right. So it's like uh, you you might you might need a law degree to figure out some of the rules and regulations. Well, that's what you got to have a Google machine and you got to have a Killer Kyle for. Yeah, because it's uh, there are agencies out there that will go through all. They'll wade through all the particulars. All you have to do is tell them, you know, I'd like to hunt sheep. I'd like to hunt elk and They'll apply for all the states. You got to pay a fee, but they'll they'll cut through all the paperwork for you and say, "Okay, we got your license for this. We got your license." That's a pretty neat way to go. Yeah, but we are skipping around a little bit. We'll get back to uh, getting out there and turkey hunting. Uh, anyway, it's my preference, and uh, I think if you're going to get a youth started and they don't have any clue as to what which weapon they're interested in, mm -hmm. uh, that's something that they got to figure out. They yeah, typically with help from the parents, help from a friend. Um, when I take the kids hunting uh, turkeys, for instance, I've got a couple of young guys going uh, 
spring turkey hunting with me this year. We'll all use shotguns. Um, and, you know, I, to quote you, Tom, I remember you saying, yeah, I like to, to break my bow out to hunt turkey, but boy, it sure is more fun to blast them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, hunt, I've killed two turkeys with my bow. And one of them kind of flew off with my arrow, and I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> and I did fortunately find them. That's painful it, when it's a $20 arrow. <laughs> yeah, it was, I swear, I saw the direction he flew, and it was over a rise. And I'm like, well, I followed the direction. I saw a piece of woods on there, and I fall. I was very lucky. I was very laid with the arrow in him, but. Yeah, and I'm not going to criticize any hunting, but for me, uh, I like to blast them. They're asking for it, and they need it. Yeah. I'm not going to have them fire any more of my arrows. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's a thrill. To, a lot of archers are so good, and I'm sure you hunters out there that are listening, man, and you can watch it on some of the hunting programs, they just aim for the head. Yep. Man, they beat them right in the head, and that's that's pretty cool to watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting uh, because I, as you know, Tom was very much in the archery purist mode for a long time. Uh-huh. Like I only wanted to hunt with my bow. I didn't want to hunt yeah. with firearms. And then last year, one of my buddies, uh, Mark Belcourt, invited me to go up to his family's land um, up north to hunt deer, and it mm-hmm. was going to be for rifle opener. And it, actually, we got unseasonably warm weather for rifle opener last year. Uh-huh. It's yep. like in the '60s and '70s that whole weekend. Yeah. But so I was like, well, I don't know. I got to use a firearm. And he said, well, you can use your bow Friday night because technically rifle doesn't open until Saturday. So right. I was like, all right, I'll get a, you know, I bought a 30-odd six, got a great deal from the, ar- the archery shop that we go to. Uh-huh. And, you know, sort of like begrudgingly, all right, I'll buy a fire, you know, buy a rifle and we'll <laughs> go up there. And actually, I'm really thankful that that I ended up agreeing to do it and going through it's it because I, I did fill my tag with the rifle on that first night. Uh, yeah, to me, it's all fun. I mean, muzzleloader is just a ri- rifle. I, I don't know. I don't know which one I prefer. I I have so much fun with all of them. I mean, I don't use a, a rifle obviously for bird hunting. You got to use a shotgun mm-hmm. unless you're uh, what's his name, Tim Wells. Tim Wells. <laughs> I mean, that guy could throw a Q-tip at an animal and kill it. Yeah, he's pretty funny. He's amazing. But, you know, even when you were up there with your uh, friend and their family, mm-hmm. you could have used your bow during the firearm season. Yeah, he just, uh, he was insistent. You got to help yeah. with your firearm. Hey, for those people who are novices, yeah, you're talking about rifles, shotguns, and muzzle loaders. Yeah. Explain the difference. Oh, boy. TK, get on your soapbox. Boy, I should have brought uh, Jill if you want to grab um, one of those camouflage bags up there. I can show you... Uh, I've got both of those. I've got shotguns, here, shells here, and I've got... I think the simplest explanation to, to really break down the differences between the weapons, muzzleloader being like a traditional musket. Right. You've got essentially a, a wad with a, no. with a bullet yes. or, or a ball-bearing yeah. bullet with... Um, you good over there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can keep talking. I'm... Uh... With gunpowder, and you get one shot, and then you've got to go through the process of packing it all back into the gun again to shoot right. again. And then your sort of next phase, as far as the amount of shots you get, would be your shotgun, because you can usually load a couple of shells into a shotgun, and you get a couple of shots, and then you've got to pull the 
old cartridges out and put more cartridges in. And then when you get into rifles, you've got actual magazines like you would with a handgun where you can load, you know, five, seven, ten rounds of ammunition in and, and it's semi-automatic. So you can get more shots without having to reload. And well, Tom, you get some examples of bullets. Yeah, these are these are bullets. 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 Firing pin hits the back. The bullet flies out the front. Um, this is for a rifle. Um, That's is that thirty odd six. This is a thirty odd six. You get a little close up on that. You can see the bullet, the lead bullet, coated in copper. Firing pin on the back. Your rifle nail that like a little pin hit and little blasting cap in there. This isn't all real technical language, but <laughs> I think they get it. That's a 30-06 bullet. This is a so 308, that, which is a little bit smaller, but the same principle. So the firing pin hits that um, the back cap, the cap on the it back, ignites. which ignites the gunpowder on the inside, which is what causes the lead bullet on the front. To leave the cartridge and strike the animal, right? Right, right, right. Projectile. Projectile. And you go all CSI on this thing. Shells up in that uh, other bag up there, Joe. If you want to grab it, the shotgun shell works on the, the little, same the principle. The little one. Yep, that's the one. Uh, no, the one that looks just like that, but bigger. <laughs> shotgun shell works on the same principle. I guess if I'd have known we we're gonna do this, I'd have brought a shotgun out and a rifle and really got into the explanation of it um yeah so a shotgun shell has a bigger chamber and a bigger barrel typically you know, like and rather 12. than one projectile it's got yeah. several yeah a shotgun shell has a lot of bb's in it and there's two different shells right you got slug and you get bb right yeah a slug is typically used for elk or deer hunting or bear hunting it's, I wouldn't say elk hunting. I've never seen anyone use a shotgun for elk. But got to uh, get close. <laughs> but this is a shotgun shell, and you can see the back end is the same. Firing pin hits the, the cap, ignites the powder in the chamber, and then this portion of the shotgun shell is filled with BBs. These are number six. They go from buckshot, which are bigger, all the way up to like nine, which are really teeny ones. And they're like a nine would be used for grouse. Okay. Doves. Much smaller BBs. Um, fives and sixes are typically used for pheasants and ducks. Mm -hmm. You know, you have fours. A lot of people use fours for ducks. I mean, it's all preference, and whether it's steel shot or lead shot. Um, but those are the basics of uh, what you would put into your firearm. And shotguns come in. A variety, you know, single shot, mm -hmm. um, double barrel, double barrel, over, over and under, um, semi-automatic. Sawed off if you're the Terminator. Does it affect <laughs> if you're able to eat the animal based off of like? Good the question, bullet? TK. Um, I've uh, bitten into a lot of bird shot in my life, but I've at a point, how those teeth. <laughs> um, it's funny at the restaurant uh, we serve pheasant, and uh, every year we have a customer appreciation day, the day of the Super Bowl. So it was actually like four things: customer appreciation, wild game feed, Super Bowl party, anniversary. 
all rolled into one. And we, uh, I have a wonderful pheasant recipe, uh, but I don't serve that pheasant that I harvest to the public. Uh, we had pheasant the day, so it was like a Super Bowl Sunday, so it was like a Monday or Tuesday. Um, a customer, we were serving uh, cream of pheasant wild rice soup, and a customer, he said, hey, Tom, and he's a good guy, good guy, I knew him, could have gotten in trouble. He shows me a BB, he said, I just bit into a BB, and I'm like, well, I buy that pheasant from, you know, Venison American, Wisconsin. they don't shoot them. They raise them, and I'm just thinking. I went back into the kitchen, and I said to the chef, I said, someone bit into a BB. And he goes, oh, I got that out of the cooler. You'd already made the pheasant soup. And he grabbed the cream of pheasant soup that we had served at the wild game dinner. And I'm like, oh, we got to get that off because <laughs> that's not right. I don't want anyone else biting into a BB. Yeah. So anyway, I explained it to him, and. He was great. He laughed. But that could have been a weird situation. Yeah, could have been trouble. But uh, I had a sister that bit into a BB and broke her teeth. you got to be careful when you clean them. It's just you know? like cleaning bones out of a fish, right? Yeah, similar. Yeah. Just got to be careful for it when you're eating. Yeah, and you got to be careful. And they'll hide. I mean, you can flatten them and go through them. And certainly when you see a hole on a pheasant or a grouse or a chucker, or whatever it is you're shooting. You get your high-powered magnet out and wand over the filet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very, very careful about uh And like turkeys, for instance, you're supposed to shoot a turkey in the neck and in the head. Mm-hmm. But occasionally, and most people do, with a shotgun. And uh, they, some of those BBs will drift, and sometimes they'll take a full load in the chest or in the back, and you got to be careful because that breast is you know that thick Mm -hmm. and my goodness they'll hide in there so you got to kind of cut it up pretty good and get through it because you don't want anyone biting into bb's no so it's lead should not be part of your diet no it's just a a meticulous part of the preparation and i think every hunter gets that um so that's part of like where you like once you figure out what game you want to hunt and what you're hunting with then you have to know how to properly hunt, especially to harvest the meat, right? Right. Yeah? You should have a mentor or a family member. You know, all these things that we're talking about, uh, which firearm or bow, I guess that's going to be up to the individual. What What's perking their interest in the first place to start hunting? Everyone knows that wild game, I don't know if everyone knows, but everyone ought to know that wild game is so much better for you than domestic chicken domestic turkey domestic beef i mean there's charts after charts after charts i mean you can go online and find a hundred different charts where they compare the fat content uh the calories the cholesterol and wild game isn't fed any antibiotics or any chemicals at all and can i tell you a funny story you can so last night i had a couple buddies of mine over they're actually over pretty late they're friends of mine from church we do men's group and a bunch of other stuff so they came over to have a conversation about faith life and it was really great just to catch up with them and we got in the conversation of wild game Mm -hmm. and the wild game meat and just the whole sort of like stigma that goes with hunting and and not understanding that you know that we hunt for the meat and how much better the meat is for you when you're hunting it yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I was referencing this video I came across on YouTube 
where this gal was accosting this hunter as at his truck as he came out of the woods. She was a, you know, recreational hiker or something, and she's out there with friends and saw this hunter coming out of the woods and decided she was going to go confront him. And so she goes over to his truck, and he got his phone out, luckily, and he's videotaping this conversation. And he's being real polite and trying to be respectful and just, you know, ma'am, I hunt for food and I feed my family with it and that kind of thing. And she just was not going to hear anything he had to say. She was all worked up in a lather and, you know, she had it in her head. She's just going to give him the business. So he just says to her after she kind of went off at at the mouth for a few minutes and he said, so let me ask you, are you vegan or vegetarian? I'm just trying to like get understand of us understanding of why you're so passionate about this. And she says, no, I eat meat. And he goes, well, where do you get your meat from? And she goes, the grocery store, duh. And it just like, we all just started laughing because I was thinking people, there are people out there that just do not understand that when they go to Cup Foods, they go to Whole Foods, they go to Hy-Vee, which is the big franchise now, that (laughs) meat is coming from somewhere. That brings me to a a slaughterhouse in most cases where the animal is way less humanely yeah, if they understood harvested. that, they'd uh, maybe uh, think before they accosted a hunter. I saw an article, and it was just a little blip that somebody took out in, in San Francisco. Shame on you hunters <laughs> out there killing those poor innocent animals. Yeah. Why can't you just go to the grocery store and buy it right where they make it? Right, <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, it's, and it's like you, you want to be patient in that situation because yeah. you don't want to – you don't want to like look at this woman and say, "Hey, did you know that you're an idiot?" <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to go there. You want to like be as polite as you can and maybe try to help her understand a little bit instead of just you know throwing it right in her face. But right. in a situation like that, I mean, I I was like, God bless this guy for holding his tongue. And, yeah, good for him. Because I don't I, know if I'd have been that patient. Yeah, I would not have had that same level of patience to to be like, "Are you serious right now?" Like, is Ashton Kutcher going to jump out of the bushes? Am I being punked? Like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, we use animal products in our clothing, everything. So you know, everything and uh, animal byproducts and everything. Yeah. So it's uh, they're kind of uninformed. And uh, it's too bad because they have these big-time lawyers, and that just kills me. And I, forgive us, folks, that we're drifting onto a totally different topic, but uh, the anti-hunters, you know, when I watch one of those commercials where the poor dogs and cats are being held and it's cold and they're being neglected, yeah, that, that rarely happens. And I'm going out on a limb, and I would love to to confront one of those people that does not happen that often mm-hmm. and they use that footage and they use that sad music mm-hmm. and the voiceover and that money is going to an organization and it's going straight to their attorneys it's not funding any humane cause a very small percentage of what gets donated goes to like maybe the, like the animal humane society i looked yeah. them up at one point because my grandfather god rest his soul was a huge supporter of theirs, donated to them all the time, time and money. Um, and so I kind of continued that tradition after he passed away and was donating to them. And then somebody, a friend of mine mentioned to me, do you know like how that money is distributed once it leaves you and goes to them? Right, and I said, right. no. And this is you know back in the dial-up days of AOL and all that. And I looked it up on the internet and I was like, wow. So it's pretty readily available now that it's, yeah. a, it's a fraction. I it's like 10%. Everybody. You know, so like a, a dime point. out of every dollar that you donate actually goes to the animals. Yeah, ninety percent of it's going to an attorney and this big attorney. Salaries trying and to end 
hunting. Yeah. So it's those folks that, uh, you know, we do have a little bit of a voice here. And you folks out there that are donating, you know, God bless you. You know, uh, I think hunters are first and foremost conservationists. And yes, we hate hunting is conservation. We hate poachers. We hate people that abuse animals. We have nothing but respect for the animals that we harvest. Mm -hmm. um, but check out these humane organizations. See where that money is going before you throw a bunch of money at them because uh, they're not legit. They are not legit. It's not, it's not what they're pro professing to be. Mm -hmm. So let me interject here because I think I think we're getting on a tangent, which I like, but I'd love to talk about <laughs> soapbox, right? The ethics of hunting because I know for me, uh, Danny, I am not a hunter, but since starting the show with you guys, I've definitely been more interested. And like, there's a ton. Like you guys said, you guys are con conservationists, and like, there's a level of ethics. So you guys don't just like shoot animals; you harvest them. Yep. Can you talk about that ethics and like, because some people might be listening and going, "Hey, I'm interested in hunting," and for you guys to set up the stage to be like, "Okay, so in part of respecting this sport, how do you do it well?" You know, that I think that would be that would be awesome to hear. Yeah. So there's there's I think. Tom, you'll agree with me. There's two different sides of that conversation when you talk about ethical hunting, because mm -hmm. to me, how you care for your equipment and the safety that you implore with your firearm and, and your gear and, you know, the, where you're hunting and the environment that you're hunting in is all one conversation, but then there's the actual hunt itself Yeah, with the animals is a different. We certainly want to harvest an animal. Yes. Any hunter that says that they don't probably not being real sincere. I mean, but it is not the pinnacle of the hunt. Uh, as you've learned, when we go out West, we didn't even know that we were going to be able to hunt on this particular property where I used to hunt when I was younger, uh, out in the prairies for antelope. And I've just had so much fun. And I know you did too, Shane. We spent over two hours on their porch visiting with this, a gal and her son who happens to be in a wheelchair from uh, riding a bull and then riding a four-wheeler anyway. Um, and uh, to me, it's meeting the people, making friends with people out west. Taylor where, and Claudia Vroman. Yeah, wherever you, uh, wherever you hunt, whether it's out west, up north, down south, deer hunting camp, it's getting to know the neighbors, it's getting to know the people. And then if they do give you permission, wow, you don't have to go on public land where you might encounter anything, other hunters, and which might spoil your hunt. And there's certainly a lot of public land out there that you can have wonderful hunts on, but uh, there's so much to the hunt, um, getting to know the people, the people that you're hunting with, the camaraderie, you know, meeting uh, after it gets dark and tell, sharing your story what happened to you and what did you see and you know maybe having a nice cold beer while you're doing that um the places you hunt the beauty of the the hunt you know the beauty of the country that you're in there's so many parts to it but then ultimately when you get that adrenaline rush and you come into range of an animal and you actually have practice enough in your life to where you harvest that animal your shot connects and it's a lethal kill and then knowing that, wow, you did it on their territory, 
and with the amazing senses that most of these animals have, if you harvest one with a bow, that's a big deal. But even if you harvest one with a rifle or whatever it is, and then you know, man, I've got all these great recipes and my friends and family, we are going to eat so good this winter. I mean, there's so much to it, but certainly I think the icing on the cake is being able to harvest something, but it is not. It is not all about pulling the trigger or dropping the string. Yeah, so let's get into the ethics of hunting. Okay. So I would say the first and foremost is that when you leave your vehicle or you leave your camp, you know, wherever it is that you're departing from to go on the hunt, you got to make sure that your weapon is secure. Yep. So if you've got a firearm that the safety's on and if you've got, um, if you're an archer, that you don't have an arrow that's knocked in the bow. Oh, no. It should be in a You couldn't do that anyway. Well, as you're walking. Or maybe out in the prairies. You're not supposed to, but. No. Yeah, that's what she's. I think that's what Danny's getting to is what are the do's and don'ts. Sure. Um, And so that would be sort of firearm safety is, you know, paramount. Mm -hmm. Um, Hunter safety is paramount. Mm -hmm. I mean, safety is huge. And for me, and probably for you, I mean, I don't know how many years I've been hunting. I guess I don't want to say. <laughs> but it's become second nature to me. And when it becomes second nature to you, uh, then that's that's a good thing. And you know you're not going to all of a sudden be pointing your gun in the wrong direction or you're in a line walking through a, a grass field in Iowa or South Dakota and your barrel is not pointing at the guy to your left <laughs> or if you're left-handed to your right. You know, you got your barrel up. And, you know, those things become second nature and safety is paramount. I mean, it's just, it just is. And a lot of accidents happen from people that are not observing safety. Speaking of the internet, uh, I used to say, you know, well, check out this magazine article or check out this in, I I forgot what year it was. Uh, More people got hurt in America shooting pool than they did hunting. And I don't know, I don't remember if it was a specific type of hunt, but I think it was just hunting in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, hunters are safe people. They take it pretty seriously. Safe, well, yeah, especially if you're, you know, out there with a kid, your own kid or something. You're teaching them first all of the safeties. And then, and then the other thing, safety is always first. So next thing for me on that list is going to be practice. Mm-hmm. You have got to make sure that you're practicing regularly now, it's not always possible, especially living in a climate like ours, to shoot your bow all year. You know, if you don't have the acreage that Tom and his wife do, then it, you don't have space in your city lot to shoot your bow in the in the winter months. It gets to be tough to do there's that. There's a fair amount of archery ranges. There are. Outside and indoor. But as you approach your hunting season, like mm-hmm. let's say you're a turkey hunter and it's end of April, so you want to go turkey hunt, Certainly by February, you want to be shooting your bow with some regularity. Absolutely. Getting that thing dialed in and making sure that you feel really good about your accuracy and your accuracy at specific yardages. Because it's critical, as you mentioned earlier, Tom, that when we're hunting, use the word fatal. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the difference between hunting to wound versus hunting to harvest. And you can be an exceptional shot, but unless you've been out there, I mean, I know guys that, can hit that bullseye on the paper, you know, 10 out of 10 times. And, uh, but there's a, an adrenaline factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, if you got a great big 
Tom and the sun shining on it, and you've got that red, white, and blue head, and the feathers are out, and he's making those noises, and he's gobbling. It rattles anybody. So to be able to hit that 10 ring on a turkey while he's gobbling at you is a little different story. So not only do you have to have the practice, which is, you know, muscle memory if you're an archery, if you're an archer, um, but to do it with the adrenaline rush going, that's going to take practice. And unfortunately, there are not going to be perfect shots all the time, but we strive for a fatal hit. Um, yeah, in that same vein, we would absolutely say that you do not take shots that are that, unethical. That are unethical. And so an unethical shot is too far, too far away, obstructions in the way. Yep. You do not pull the trigger, whether it's your bow or it's a, a firearm, just mm-hmm. for the sake of pulling the trigger. You've got right. to make sure you have an ethical shot. And you got to be confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, birds, the bird or the animal has got to be within your range. Yep. Archery, you know, archery equipment. There are proficient hunters that are shooting 60, 70, 80 yards, and they know that they can't take that same shot at an animal that's alert. Mm-hmm. But the, the equipment, you know, I used to shoot every year in a, a 100 yard uh, competition and the modern it's not that I'm so great but I could put uh, maybe eight out of ten arrows in a pie plate at 100 yards if the wind wasn't blowing too bad (laughs) Uh, but I would watch these guys and I'm like some of those arrows is tall guys pulling 32 inches at at 80 pounds or 85 pounds the arrow at 100 yards is flying like a laser beam. Mm-hmm. And they're pounding these balloons and pie plates consistently. And um, I'm sorry, I probably drifted off of the topic. Um, but in this day and age, even with the modern bows, you know, 30 yards should be your max. Now, there's a lot of guys out there that are unbelievable archers, and I know a lot of them. And they say, well, I'm good at 40 or 50. Personally, um, I, if I, I shot, I, I, 30 I, yards is pretty good for me, but I think we sh- I think you probably want to just say everyone has to decide that distance that they're right, comfortable right. for themselves because right. if a guy's shooting every single day and he's dialed in at 40 or 50 yards, I don't want to be the one to tell him you shouldn't take that shot. Yeah, and then you have to coupled with that, you have to understand the body language of the animal. Yeah. I shot at a deer, uh, who lived the deer lived, but 35 yards. And I mean, I am, I'm dialed in. Yeah. I was dialed in at the time at 100 yards. And 35 yards is not hard. Uh, But the deer was drinking water. He heard the shot. He turned. And the arrow hit him in the bone behind his leg. Didn't even come close to penetrating the body because he had turned that far by the time he heard the shot. So you got to understand they're going to jump the string. Maybe an elk with a, a huge uh, vital area. It's like shooting at a Winnebago. Is not going <laughs> to drop as uh, readily as a white-tailed deer. Mm-hmm. You got to understand the animal. You got to understand, and if they're alert, you can't take that shot. Let's yeah. Let's go back to what you said about the vitals, because every animal, regardless of type or the firearm that you're shooting with, or or not firearm, but the weapon that you're using, 
all animals have very specific vitals. Right. And the vitals for non-hunters are going to be the areas you're aiming for to get the fastest and most ethical kill on the animal. Right. You don't want to shoot an animal, say an example, in the rear end where eventually they might bleed out, but that's going to result over a very long period, which is going to be painful and dramatic for the animal. It's not the best shot. Um, uh, there's a femoral artery back there that if you hit that, you know, chances are tip sometimes pretty good. I'm not encouraging people to take Let's not go there. Shot. Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, but I've seen animals uh, bleed out like right now. Yeah, uh, so and generally. I'm not encouraging you. Generally, no. there are there are very specific vitals like heart and lungs. Right. And so you're aiming for heart and lungs because those are going to result in the fastest, most ethical expiration for the animal. Yep. Re resulting, obviously, the least amount of pain and suffering. Right. Which is what our goal is because we do want to harvest the animal. We want the meat. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to inflict any unnecessary no, you want that animal to die as Is that something they teach you when you are doing your hunting safety, or is that something you need to research on your own? It's um, a little. It's a little of both. Yeah, a little of both. They uh, do uh, mention that you know a totally broadside shot is always your best shot. And again, there's thousands and thousands of hunters. Some might disagree. Cording away. Slightly quartering away. Tom, you're going to need to go into some description now. What exactly is a broadside animal shot? Well, I wish I had a chart here, but I don't. Well, that would be where your the animals, the side of their body is right. completely the uh, silhouette per perpendicular to you. Yeah, the silhouette of the body. I think I think most people know what a broadside shot is. Slightly quartering away is good as well. That's where the animal is. You. Quarter, yeah. We got we got to be specific. So quartering away is where the animal's slightly facing away from you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, quartering towards you. Here we go. Here's your chart. Well, there you go. The, the... So the picture that you got pulled up on the right-hand side there, the screen, that would be the first one on the left is a broadside shot. And then the other one's a quartering away. Quartering away. So when you're typically shooting at a quartering away animal, you want to aim for the far leg. Like even if he was quartering more, you see that left leg of his you want to aim for it because you've got to aim back a little bit further on the animal sometimes even you know like right behind the rib cage where the first picture of the one on the left you're going right through the rib cage but that's where your uh, heart and your lungs are mm -hmm. you want to avoid the sh shoulder blade yep thanks for bringing that picture up kyle that's a great th i forget that uh we have that capability but I think those two deer there are the best ones of a broadside and uh, quartering away. See if you can find a quartering in shot. And typically if it's – there are a lot of hunters that take that shot. I am one of them. And I know a lot of other hunters that do. Um, I the, know where to aim. Which one, the quartering in? Quartering towards you. Yeah. Um, you put it right between the center of the brisket and that shoulder blade. It's a pretty large area, and if you're close enough, yeah, I, I've taken with my bow a number of deer. It's not one you want to shoot at, at large distance. But you don't want to aim like for the heart, because then you're going to wind up in the guts. You know, like, you just got to know the uh, the animal. You have to know what's the word, uh, the structure of the animal, the autonomy, the autonomy. Thank you, anatomy. anatomy. Of the animal, and uh, they're all that's all part of it, yeah. It's all part of it. There we go. There's one, yeah. Well, you see, they actually have a bullseye there, 
Am I looking at that one in the middle? Is that one? Yep. That's the quartering towards in. us. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that one's basically facing straight in, but the principle's the same. No, that's perfect. That's a perfect shot right there. I've taken that shot. I don't know how many times, but I've. It's very fatal. I mean, you're right in a boiler room right now. And boiler room for those non-hunters means the heart. And lungs. Or the pump house. <laughs> <laughs> I like to call it the pump house. Pump station. Hey, thanks for bringing that up. That's cool. Or the heart. The heart. The heart, heart and lungs. And the liver. Right. Liver's back a little bit, but also a fatal, uh, that's a fatal shot if you hit the liver. You won't die quite as rapidly as they would have the heart and lungs, but. If you don't have a good shot, liver alone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dad joke uh, of the day. How much are you drinking over there? <laughs> We're slowing it down. Yeah. Let's Tom, let's do this. We need to uh, get to a little break here. Okay. And when we come back, what I'd like to do is maybe talk a little bit about some specific hunting strategies. So we we went into Turkey a little bit, but let's talk whitetail. Let's talk elk and let's talk bear because I know those are three mm. that you are expert in. We'll get into those. Yeah, that'll be great. All right. So folks, stick around. We'll get into some more hunting strategy and uh, we'll be right back after the break. Boots and Backstraps is proudly brought to you by Homes by Shane. Making your move with the Homes by Shane team means an unparalleled customer service experience. That level of service is the foundation of this REMAX results referral-based business. Our driven team of experts communicate with their clients every step of the way, ensuring a memorable experience from the first conversation through your closing day. Go to homesbyshane.com for more information. Let's get you home. If you would like to sponsor the Boots and Backstraps podcast or you have an interest in joining our team, send us an email to bootsandbackstrapspodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to Boots and Backstraps, everybody. TK, hey, welcome back. Come on now. Did you uh, use the facility? I did. To make your bladder gladder? Yeah. I did too. It's a good thing on breaks. <laughs> And a special thanks to our sponsors in the break there. You know, we couldn't do what we do without our sponsorship support, so we appreciate them very much. Absolutely. Got to keep the lights on, right? That's right. Now, we last left off in our adventure. We were talking about turkey hunting and hunting ethics, but I think we should get into some hunting strategy now, and I think that you said you'd like to maybe start with bear. Well, you know, we're, I think before we wrap up today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about strategy for bear, deer, elk. maybe elk. Yep. We should uh, really wait for the strategy for elk hunting until we get the elk whisperer, Robin the, over the here. The whisperer. Yeah, he he's uh, quite the elk hunter. And he will be in sh soon. Yeah. He's got some fishing commitments over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll get him in studio. You know, next week we're going to have a gentleman on here that I've known for many, 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 many years who uh, invented a product that all hunters use. Mm -hmm. I guess we don't use it turkey hunting, but if you're hunting whitetail or bear. Or elk. Or elk, my goodness. Yeah, you got to spray up with SunShield, and my good friend Bill Robinson will be here next week, and uh, we're going to talk about all things SunShield. Right. And what a huge invention that was in this industry. Mm-hmm. 
And especially since we're going to talk about bear hunting, I mean, bear can smell dinner. They can smell a bag of donuts two, three miles away. And that's not an exaggeration. They have the most unbelievable sense of smell. And so I guess in Minnesota, there's only one way to hunt bear. Um, <laughs> I can remember when I was really, really young, I went up north, up by north of Grand Rapids, and uh, we just went out in the woods bear hunting. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> Some guys said, let's what go What were you hunting, hunting with? What was your weapon of choice? Uh, we were all had rifles. Okay. And uh, back then there were dumps, and uh, we actually got in trouble because we, were in a, we weren't hunting it, but we wanted to see where the trails going to the dump were going. And get permission. You say dump, you're talking about garbage? Yeah, garbage dumps. Okay. And uh, bears frequent those. At any rate, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. But since then, we'd graduated to, uh, I grew up with one of our previous guests, and we talked quite a bit about bear hunting. But in Minnesota, you hunt bear over a bait pile. Dave Miller. Yep. And uh, if you're not a hunter, you might think, well, that doesn't sound very ethical. But it is ethical. Uh, you put the bait pile. I've harvested about, I don't know, 27 bears, 26. And most of them have been over a bait, but, you know, and they've all been less than 15 yards away. Yeah. And they've all been with a bow. And, uh, yeah, it's almost impossible to trick a bear's nose. While we're talking about this, Kyle, can you pull up the vital zone on a bear, please? Yeah. and uh, I will so do you, that. You got to get out there and bait the bears, you know, before the season, you get a two week window uh, for baiting them and so that they come into your bait on a regular basis. And what's nice about it is if you're in a tree stand or ladder stand, ground blind, whatever it is, whether you're using a rifle, a muzzleloader or a bow, um, or in some cases a pistol, Mm -hmm. you know, you can sit there and observe. And typically, you don't want to harvest the first animals that come in because they're typically juveniles, young, curious. The older, wiser, bigger bear will typically come in right before it gets dark or maybe even they'll wait a few days. But uh, the advantage of, of having the bait there is that you can see, you can make a field judge on how big that bear is, how possibly how old it is, mm-hmm. and... You can wait, and then if you have a sow come in with cubs, it's not illegal to harvest that sow, but... You generally don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to shoot that. You want to let them grow up and uh, raise their cubs, but... You know, it's interesting to kind of, like, jump into maybe a rabbit hole if you're one second. There are certainly some uh, species of animal where the young youngling, the the babies, <laughs> are kind of left on their own at a pretty young age yeah. to fend for themselves. And bears are not one of those, where the mama typically raises the cubs, right? Well, no, you're actually that's not right. Uh, oh, okay. that's why it's legal to harvest a sow, okay, even though there are cubs. I don't know any hunters that would do that. Uh, it just doesn't seem right. Uh, but if you did, those cubs are going to be fine. Um, they'll stick with them till the following year, and then they get booted out. They go into their estrus cycle every other year Mm -hmm. and uh but again 
it's legal and they wouldn't let it be legal if it was not something you should do. But I, again, uh, not too many people do that. Here we go. Now, this is an animal. You see how large that shoulder blade is? This has been the nemesis of a lot of archers. Uh, you do not want to hit that shoulder blade. Uh, big bones, you won't, you, well, you know, if you're using a rifle, you're probably fine. And, and forgive me, I, I'm always typically speaking from an, uh, an archer's point of view. That top uh, cutout where you see the broadside shot and you see the quartering away shot, and those two are in red. I see another arrow, looks like it's going right into the shoulder blade, and that arrow is not red. Are you seeing that, Shane? I, I, I think they're trying to depict the heart zones. Right. And you can see the, the one that's black that goes into the shoulder blade there at the top is what you're referring to? Yeah, that's the one you shouldn't take. Yep. <laughs> right. By any means. That's the quartering in shot. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough deal. Can you get a frontal shot on a bear? You can. Uh, but th you see how low their heads hang? Yes. And typically they're on a tree. You know, if you're in a ground blind... And he, I have um, the bear right behind me wearing the hat uh, was standing right in front of me at 12 yards, and he was scratching his uh, back on a tree, and well, he was standing up. He's wearing a sun shield hat. a Canadian hat. bear. <laughs> He's wearing a sun shield hat. <laughs> I, I took him right in the chest because... He was 12 yards away, and he was doing this and was wide open. But that's pretty unusual. Uh, you know, most bears in Minnesota are shot out of a tree stand going down. So a frontal shot isn't really an option too much. But as far as strategies go, there's no way a hunter can just walk around in the woods and go bear hunting with his gun or his bow and hope to see a bear. Right. Because of the most secretive animals, they have such amazing smell and they have such an amazing hearing that you could be close to a bear and never even know it. Right. Many times as you're hunting, like, for instance, grouse or deer or whatever, uh, they just know you're coming. They don't want any confrontation with a human. Mm -hmm. One of the things I just looked up when you're talking about their sense of smell, 20 miles. Yeah. It's amazing. I know I said three, four miles, and I was watching a program, and they were talking about that. And I knew it was way, their nose can smell uh, food way farther than two or three miles or four miles. But I just wanted to be air on the side of a caution on the air on the side of a I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're right. I didn't want to go overboard. I mentioned before the break, Ed, a conversation with some friends last night and uh, we got into hunting and one of them mentioned that they'd gone to glacier national and as they were getting ready to go up the hiking trail they there's this giant warning sign that had a big picture of a grizzly bear on it that had his mouth open and teeth showing and all that yeah. as like a hey you got to know there are grizzly up here oh absolutely and uh, grizzly are very unique in, com in comparison in north america right comparison to the other bear species because the other bear species from my understanding and tom you're the bear expert here um is that they generally like a lot of other animals will not want anything to do with you if you're not disturbing them right they'll kind of go their way you go your way grizzly bear are the same as black bear in that respect they don't want anything to do with humans the confrontations they get into 
are typically with sows that have cubs and are defending their cubs. Um, certainly you can get a bear like people. They're all different sizes. They're different personalities and temperaments. You can get an old ornery grizzly bear or a black bear that's just mean because he's just getting old or maybe he's got health issues. And they're unpredictable, and yeah. they may attack you. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't <laughs> In a lot of my elk hunting country out west, uh, grizzly bears have moved in. Yes. And that's not a fun feeling. To, uh, I carry a sidearm and bear spray. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a fun feeling for me, uh, hunting and always looking over my shoulder, especially when you're calling mm-hmm. and you're making the sounds of an elk and having a bear come pouncing on you wouldn't be fun. So I tend uh, these days not to hunt in gr- grizzly country. Uh, I got a bear question about that. Yeah. I heard this, and tell me if it's true or not, but if it's brown, lay down, and if it's black, fight back, and if it's white, you're dead. Is that true? For uh, bears. That sounds like an interesting cliche. Uh, say that again. So okay. like polar bears you're referring to when you talk about white? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's brown, lay down. So like be submissive. Right. And if it's black, fight back. Is are, And I mean, polar bears are a non-issue, but for those two, is that accurate if you run across a bear? It sounds about right, yeah, actually. Yeah, I guess. Uh, they say don't run from a grizzly. Uh, I don't think you're going to have that confrontation with a black bear. Uh, maybe less often than a shark attack. Well, like um, with a black bear, you, you can kind of like, you can scare them a little bit. Right. But a grizzly can can't do that. you got to make yourself big and be bold and maybe go at them. Uh, and I think, you know, nine out of ten times or... 99 out of 100 times, the black bear is going to run off. Yeah. I mean, unless there's a, a cub up a tree or something, then. Or you got a fresh pizza in your off. hand? What's that? Or you got a fresh pizza in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> Walk into the woods with your Papa John's, that's you know, probably a bad deal. All there. I can <laughs> do is uh, uh, relay my experiences, and I have had some amazingly close encounters with bears. Um, there are other people out there that may say, no, that's not the way it works, but. In my in my counters, uh, uh, it's very rare, 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 rare that you're going to encounter a black bear that wants to go to you, that wants to tussle with you. Mm-hmm. And again, if there's a sow and they have cubs involved, all bets are off. Anything can happen. That's why if you see a sow with cubs, you should go the oh, other direction absolutely. as quickly as you can. And I, when you say brown lay down, if you're talking about a grizzly bear or a brown bear. That's probably true. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with them, but from what I've heard, you know, you're not going to outrun them, that's for sure. Right. Um, They can climb trees. Yes, quickly. (laughs) So climbing a tree is not, if you've got a tree available. And they can swim. Yeah. So be submissive and play dead. I've heard that, and I guess I'm not going to go on record as saying that's the absolute way to do it, but it makes sense to me. Play dead. Do you know anything about polar bears? Uh, they are the largest conifer in uh, North America, and they're no longer legal to bring into, uh, I think, even after they passed the law where you could not bring a polar bear into the United States from the Arctic, um, I think the, the, they're, they're just totally uh, protected now. 
I hear they like Coca-Cola. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. We could talk a lot about how the advertisers and Disney makes those animals seem human. Right. And they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> they're Very they're much dangerous. wild animals. Yeah, exactly. Don't give them a Coca-Cola. Don't no. give them a Coca-Cola. So anyway, that's a little bit about black bear hunting in Minnesota. In Wisconsin, they hunt uh, in other states. See a tree stands, you got ground blinds. Yep. In Typically over bait. Yep. And, and I was going to go to uh, Wisconsin where they run, they bait hunt them and they hound hunt them. Oh, interesting. And they typically start them on a bait, bring their hounds, their dogs over to the bait, and then they pick up a scent and then they take off and they go through the woods. Now, that's a, a tough deal because quite often these dogs will run and the bear will run through private property and bears and dogs don't know boundaries. So that makes it a little controversial in Wisconsin. Well, the bear's running for his life, so he probably doesn't care much about boundary. No. <laughs> yeah, but the landowners care about it. Yes. So they get upset. And, uh, you know, you got the great big Namaji State Forest up there, and a lot of that's done there. But when you're on the perimeters and you're going through private property, that becomes an issue. Yeah. And uh, um, so... It's a little bit controversial, but uh, the hound hunters are passionate, passionate about their hunting. And hounds are used in quite a few species, mountain yeah, lions. Yeah, mountain and, lion, mm -hmm. coon, uh, bobcat. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to go out west, and uh, I don't know if I can still do it. Getting a little older, and uh, I've always wanted to go through the mountains. Uh, I might still get it done. wanted to chase mountain lions. We'll hook you up with a rigging, throw you on my back, there and you haul go. you around. I'm all for that. <laughs> Be like Master Blaster from Mad Max and the Th Thunderdome or whatever it was. I guess if you get out west, and we're still talking about bear hunting, um, you can spot and stalk them in the mountains uh, where you uh, hunt them on what's referred to as a slide in the spring where there had been a mudslide or whatever, rock slide. And the grasses grow up because when they come out of the dens, they're hungry, 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 and they eat anything. Mm -hmm. But they mostly eat young shoots, the new grasses coming up. So that way, you know, here in Minnesota, it's not a spot and stock situation or Wisconsin. But in the mountains where you can glass for a long ways and you can glass these slides, then you can get in there and spot and stock them and, or get into a vantage point and shoot them with a rifle. Right. So, uh that's just another way of hunting bears. But let's move on to deer. Just going to say the most popular, or the probably the most um, avid hunting person that's going to watch this show, um, and pretty much all hunters are going to hunt a variety of species, but deer is probably primary, I would think. Yeah, deer is the most popular hunted species in America. Yeah. White-tailed deer is king, man, and there's a lot of ways to hunt those. Um I hear you can hunt them really good with your van and your lights on, your horn blowing in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty popular way of doing it. I've done that once. 55 miles an hour. Yeah, they tend to jump out in front of you. Um, but you can't eat those, I'm, I'm is what I was yeah, told. I, I guess yeah, you, don't, yeah, if you don't, hit the deer, you can't eat it. Yeah, it depends the meat, on. The meat's ruined, is what I was told. Some of the meat's ruined. Yeah, okay. What yeah, about the back strap? No, if, okay. if you call the DNR, if you hit a deer, call the DNR. And, uh, for instance, if it's coming across the road and you hit it in the neck and head, 
call the DNR and, uh, you know, gut the animal out, throw it in your vehicle, and take it home. And Excuse me, DNR, can I have a tag for this? Yeah, they, they do. They give you a tag, yes. They drive right out there and hand you one. Um, I think there's a small fee for that tag. And uh, Are you sure? Can you tell me what the tag is? Huh. Like, what is the tag? I know, like, we fill up the tags. I got that part. But what is, like... It's a license. Li- yeah, we've covered that in a couple of episodes now. It's your, One more time. One it's more your time. license to hunt an animal. You, In order for you to hunt, whether it's small game or big game or waterfowl or whatever it may be, you have to have a license to hunt it. And typically attached to your license is a tag that tears off and you wrap around the leg or in the ear or the brisket and you attach it to the animal and that tag then makes it legal, legally harvested. So that's what a tag is. Um, boy, we could talk all day about the various ways of hunting deer, whether it be the various weapons, hunting from a tree stand, which is very, very popular everywhere, getting out west and spotting, stalking. Um, and don't get me wrong, you don't have to go out west to do that. Plenty of people do it here in Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, especially in the snow. Yeah. Spotting and stalking or just tracking deer. Yep. And blinds. Sitting in a blind over a, a field or water hole. A water hole. You got it. I mean, there's uh, just a million ways of hunting white tailed deer. Some states it's legal to bait. Minnesota's yep. not one of those, but Wisconsin is. Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, yeah, and I'm, uh, you know, there would probably be a lot of people that wouldn't like me saying this, but. You know, with the chronic wasting disease that we're experiencing is passed by one deer saliva to another. Uh, why would you bait? I mean, you're pr- in Michigan, I uh, hunted there with a couple guys from Cabela's. And the deer were so programmed. I mean, there was roadsides where they were selling bags of corn, bags of apples, just food for the deer. Yeah. Well, they got so programmed in Michigan, they'd been doing it for so long, they wouldn't come out in the light of day. Mm. Ever, where they just turn the deer totally nocturnal, and you knew they were coming there to eat, but you weren't going to see them because they wouldn't come in until nighttime. Yeah, they say now you can't hunt them because it's after shooting light. Right, and so I'm not a big fan of baiting. You know, I know they, it's a big thing in Texas, and I know Ted Nugent would disagree with me, and that's okay. Uncle Ted? Yeah. Uh, he equates a pile of corn to a cornfield, and I know a lot of hunters will plant, and I think that's fine. Food plots? Food plots, yeah. And I don't know. You know, there's there's millions of people in the world and a lot of different opinions on how that is. That's my opinion. Maybe we could end chronic wasting disease if we end it baiting. Sure. And I know there's a lot of people that agree with me. I just don't think it's healthy, and I don't know. I don't think it's that ethical, quite frankly. And Sure. That's just my opinion. Yeah. So uh, there you go. On deer hunting, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people out there that are way smarter than I am as to their tactics, how they hunt deer. How about calls? Because there aren't really calls for bear, right? Well, you can, yes. As a matter of fact, we have done that out in Idaho. What kind of or, call do you use for a bear? You use the same call you'd use for calling in a coyote. 
you know, like a fawn in distress or a rabbit in distress. Gotcha. Because they like a free meal. <laughs> and it's wild. I called in a bear, and he came charging him, scared the daylights. He might have been hungry. I mean. He heard the dinner bell. He did, and it scared the bejeebers out of me. I was bow hunting. I wasn't ready for him, and he came flying in, and all I could do was, hey. <laughs> he ran off, and I never got my bow up, pulled back, and he was just on me. So, yeah, that's that you can pretty much call any animal. I mean, you're talking about deer, they're deer grunts. Everyone's got a grunt tube or a set of rattling antlers. Mm -hmm. So, you can call deer in that respect, uh, or a bleat, a doe bleat, which I have here. And I guess I could uh display those, or but everyone knows how those work. No, they don't, Tom. <laughs> Are they in the room? They are in the room. All right, here we go. Oh, uh, Jill, that first camo bag that you brought me, I guess I have all of those things in it. Uh, the one that the, had the rifle ammo? I've got the rattle or the the rattle rack. I've got a grunt tube. All right. Here we go. This is going to be so exciting for people that are better hunters than I am. <laughs> I say, what's this guy doing? All right. Got to remember, Tom, a large part of our audience are people that don't hunt. Here's a rattle rack. This, I love these. These are easy to carry. They, they uh, mimic two deer fighting, and they're kind of loud. It's sound like crash them together. And I don't know. Can you hear that, Danny? And you get kind of wild with them. So those mimic two deer fighting. I'm going to find a grunt tube. i go through my scent shield stuff down here. i got a lot of that in here. Here's a grunt tube. All right. <laughs> Fantastic techniques. Yeah, that's great. And do I have got a bleed the in infamous there? Infamous can in here. Maybe, maybe not. I've got so many of these bags. Well, there's one thing I've learned in hunting with you, Tom. These all these years is if they make something for hunting, you've got two of them. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but well, I, I don't. There, there it is. Every time we hunt, you've Mr. got Freeman's. seven giant tubs full of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Shane is really exaggerating. <laughs> we need a separate trailer just for Tom's hunting gear. Nah, <laughs> I, I, I use what I use, and I keep them forever until they break, and then I'll throw them away and get another one. And that's the sound of a doke. Sounds like a sheep. And Mr. Primos has made a lot of money on that. Oh, I'm sure. Um, it sounds like one of those kids' toys with the tube where you flip it over and the thing slides down on the inside. Yeah, it's the same principle. Yeah. And it sounds like, well, it sounds like a doe, maybe a doe in heat, maybe a fawn in distress. So there is, um, whether, regardless whether you're using a, a bow, an arrow, or using a, a firearm, there is legal shooting time. Yeah. 
and that's typically 30 minutes before actual registered sunrise and 30 minutes after actual sunrise, right? And we can or thank sunset. our good friend, Ron Carlson. Okay. He used to own Buona Archery, and then uh, he used to own the Compound Doctor. He was the one that went to the uh, legislature and got that change from sunup to sundown to a half an hour before to a half an hour after. Fantastic. Ron's a great man, still a good friend of mine. He was a world champion air gunner, and I know there are so many of our listeners that know and love Ron Carlson. He's in the uh, Archery Hall of Fame now. Amazing. An amazing, amazing man. He was my next-door neighbor when I lived in Pillager, Minnesota. Oh, okay. Yeah, great guy. Just a great guy. So thank you, Ron, for getting that done because, I don't know, most people were just shooting a half an hour before and a half an hour after, not legally. And then if they had to quit, people that were really following it by the book were missing out on the best half hour of hunting. Yeah. So. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. We had a question that actually came in from a listener. Sure. Okay. Uh, throw this to both of you. It's actually a two-part question. Okay. Where is your favorite hunt, and what were you hunting? Wow. Age before beauty, TK. Where was my favorite hunt? And what were you hunting? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I would say to that listener, you know, I have a passion for all of the animals that I hunt, whether it's turkey or pheasant, and I can think of, or, or elk or antelope or deer, mule deer, whatever the case may be. I have such a passion for each of those animals. So for me to select one of them, I could select uh, each species and tell you uh, a highlight of each of those species. Um, but I can't just pick out one. I mean, I love being in the mountains chasing elk. I love being in the forests of Minnesota chasing whitetails and in Iowa shooting pheasants and out on the prairies after antelope. I mean, it just goes on and on. Or doing my first love, grouse hunting, um, with my friend Oscar Carlson, who's going to be on our show here. Or a big stick on the side of the road, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You know what? Your humor is sometimes. What did that mean? Don't oh. you remember that day when oh, we. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Like you literally killed a, a grouse with a stick. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, he, used, he used me as distraction. Yeah. I distracted. I did a little dance off to the side. Well, and then we're, he came we're driving over in, the, in the barracks. <laughs> Shane and I were looking at a couple of pieces of property up in the Barrens. For those of you that aren't familiar with that, the Barrens are in Wisconsin. It's the nose that comes into Minnesota that's bordered by the St. Croix River. Well, anyway, we're driving down the road, and I nicked uh, a grouse flew across the road, and I I hit it with the van, but just barely. So he's sitting on the up in the brush, and I didn't want to just leave him, so I right. grabbed a big branch. And I said, Shane, walk around that way so he's watching you. And he flew up, and I smacked him out of the air. Right out of midair? And like a home run swing. And my friend Oscar Carlson had another grouse dinner. Yeah, sure did. So forgive me, we never really answered that gentleman's or that person's question. Um, it sounded to me like you were trying to 
evade the question. No, not at all. It's Do you have like, a, a favorite? I mean, I, I can remember shooting uh, that bull with my bull. Um, be, uh, I was in, uh, where was I? Well, I don't even know where I was. Oh, Durango, Colorado. And this friend of mine were in, calling a bull, and we're working those bull. We're way back in the mountains, and he, uh, but the bull wouldn't commit. He's down in a, in a, in a ravine, and we're up, and my buddy says, I got the idea. And he walks the opposite direction, kicking branches, using about five different cow calls. So he's given the impression to this bull that the herd is leaving. So I stood there with my bull. And this elk, and he wasn't a monster, but he's a nice five by five, mm -hmm. actually a five by six. And he came up, and he's looking right through me, past me, where these elk went. And I'm pulled back with my bow, and he's like 40 yards, and he's zigzagging, he's coming right to me. And he's like at 12 yards, and you know how close 12 yards is. Really close. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to put this right. He's going to walk right over At that me. point, you could just put the arrow in your hand and stab him with it. Well, I was going to do a frontal shot to the one side or the other of the brisket. And he put his head down, so I had to stop my thought process. And he came out. He came up bugling right in my face. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've. Filled I'm your drawers? On, I'm com <laughs> I mean, the snot's coming out of his mouth, and I swear it's close enough to where some of this might be hitting me. But then he finally veers, and I'm still pulled back. And at nine yards, he's finally, there he is, broadside saw, and I just hammered him. And he ran kind of back in the same direction. And I call called, and he came. He slammed on the brakes, came right back, now this time to my left, and I cow called again, and now he's like 15 yards. And I got enough time to put in another arrow, and I hammered him on the other side. <laughs> Double-lunged him on both sides, and he went down the hill and crashed and burned. And <laughs> I don't know. That hunt certainly stands out as one of my most memorable and exciting hunts. But Well, I hate to be terribly unoriginal, but mine's also an elk hunt. And that was our first elk hunt together. Yeah because of that experience we had with that sure as moose. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, so what happened was we were at the very backside of this meadow. There's a little mouth that separated a small field area to a larger meadow, and we decided to set up on either side of this mouth going into the meadow. And Tom put his cow decoy out there, and we put some asterisks on it for a little scent. And uh, and then we just kind of sat in there, and I was Tom was tucked off in a little side of the forest on the side of the mountain, and I was in a little grove of trees on the other side and we're ripping off calls. And we started hearing some commotion four or five, 600 yards away coming down the side of the mountain. We naturally assumed it was a bull elk because of the sound of the, you know, whacking and on the trees. And going there, we knew there was an elk in the, in the area. Yeah. We had heard he from other hunters. Yeah. In that exact spot. We right. That a, a big bull had been in there yeah. bugling, making noise the night before. So we were hoping to get lucky and have him come back in and, start hearing this noise and that's exactly what we thought so as it turns out when the animal cleared the tree line we noticed it was this gigantic moose and tom having hunted as long as you have and being a guy that apparently speaks many different angle animal languages 
started ripping off some moose calls, which shocked me because you didn't have a, you know, you get all these fun um, trinkets in your bag to help you create these calls. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the moose was all by mouth. It was. And, and it's not hard to call him. But there, we have it on the screen right now. He was a long ways away. And he, see, this is Shane taking this video. And he's walking right to me. So he came from, I would say, about 500 yards away. Yeah. Tom's calling. And this moose would walk 50, 75, 100 yards. And he'd stop and kind of survey the landscape and tom would call some more and he'd come in some more and he pulled him all the way to where he was literally the moose is probably where you see him in this video right now about 50 feet from where tom's standing yeah and he just walked in a circle between where tom's standing behind that tree that you can see now right next to the moose tom is right behind that tree and he's walking in a circle between that tree and where i'm standing going in between us confused about where all this calling's coming from because he can't see and he didn't leave. He was there for 15, 20 minutes. Oh, he was there because he walked up into the woods behind me. He was there for more than a half hour. He just kind of kept walking in this circle. And at one point he walked over by me and he was, I mean, for sure 10 feet or less from me just standing there. And it was pretty intimidating because I'd never hunted this kind of big game in the mountains before. And I obviously did not have a moose tag, which was ended up being a joke later wow. because Tom said to me later that he was really praying I wasn't going to pull back and shoot this moose as close as he was. Cause obviously we didn't, we weren't licensed to shoot a moose. Um, but, uh, yeah. Knowing so I got, that you were a novice to it. I'm thinking, well, I, I know that Shane knows the difference between a moose and an elk, but of course, but things flood through your mind and it's happened many times. Well, if he had charged me, I would have shot him, <laughs> but he didn't charge me. He just stood there next to me for a little while. And then, as you said, he circled around, went up into the mountain a little bit next to you. And then ultimately stopped right in between us and just kind of moseyed on out through the, the meadow, yeah. making his funny moose sounds the whole way. But he was a huge animal. Well, you know, there are three subspecies of moose. You got the Alaska Yukon, they're the biggest. Yeah. And then here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Canada, you have the Canadian moose, mm -hmm. which is the second largest. And then there's the Sheriff's moose, which is the smallest. And they typically live in Colorado, Montana, and Wyoming. And this is a know, very big Utah, animal. And that was a huge Sheriff's moose. Anyone that knows anything about moose that just saw that video knows that that was a big, big record book sure as moose when he was standing next to me that hump on his back behind his head was over my head right you know for sure and if you can imagine a yukon moose alaska they're about twice the size of that moose it's amazing yeah that's it is amazing so that was definitely my favorite hunting experience so we've talked a little bit about deer hunting bear hunting and we've actually talked a little bit about elk hunting yeah um strategies for elk hunting are as varied as the hunters are as well. What do we got here? Something else on the video. Well, that's that same moose. That's when he was first starting to clear the tree line. Yeah. And you started calling to him. <laughs> he was thrashing around in that brush. Uh, it's a huge animal. You know, I guess talking about elk hunting, there's certainly, whether you're hunting with a rifle or a bow, there's so many different strategies. Some people are very aggressive, guys like Chuck Adams, the world premier archery hunter. You know, he's pretty silent. People like Robin, our friend, is very aggressive, and he's killed many, many record book moose, uh, elk, excuse me. 
But there's, you know, sitting on a water hole or a wallow, uh, sitting all day. There's most people spot and stalk and get after them because yeah. if you're in the mountains, they're typically not going to come to you yeah. unless they're in a drought and you got a good water hole. So that's a, always a, a good way of doing it. But you got to be in shape and you got to climb them hills and you got to get after them. When you hear one bugling, you might have to go over a few ridges to get at them. Yes. And the ridges in the mountains are not like the ridges around here. No. No, they're uh, they're not over small hills. We got some substantial terrain that we have to try to yeah deal with when you're out west for sure. Well, you know, this has been a fun episode and talking about. You know, we drift here and there, and we get on different topics. It's easy to do when you're talking about your favorite uh, hunting sport. And uh, but for those of you that are considering uh getting into the brotherhood of hunting uh please do or sisterhood or sisterhood um uh, getting a little philosophical about it you know if you're a parent the best thing i think you can do as a parent is get your child involved in the outdoors uh if they're out there carrying a bow or a shotgun or a rifle and if they're pursuing animals you're not going to have to worry about them hanging out on a street corner uh, doing drugs or maybe drinking or whatever, uh, getting involved with a bad element. People that get into hunting are passionate about it. Um, it's a great way to live. It provides food for your table. Um, the ethics of us, you know, they're taught such great ethics. Um, I encourage any parent to absolutely get their kid involved with some small game hunting. Let them let them figure out which tool they would like, whether it be a bow, a shotgun, a rifle, whatever it is, muzzleloader. Uh, see what perks their interest. A lot of kids are getting, they get addicted by that magical, mystical flight of the arrow, mm-hmm. Uncle Ted. Right. <laughs> um, but it's all fun and it's all great and it's all healthy. So. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, for this week's episode of Boots and Backstraps. Don't forget to send us your questions to bootsandbackstrapspodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we will definitely filter through those and get you featured like we did this week for our listener. And uh, that was a lot of fun to answer that question. Don't forget when you see this on any of the platforms, uh, Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, all the different places that you'll find it, please make sure you give us a like and uh, subscribe to whatever that platform is on our channel. And, of course, share it with all the people that you know, because we'd love to, to be able to let other, other folks and more folks see what we're doing here with this, where we're talking about country music and talking about hunting and all that, and we want to share the love with everyone. Yeah, today it's all hunting. It is. Yeah. TK, let's bring this thing in for landing. Well, I like to close, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, pretty much the same thing every week, whether you're belting out your favorite country song or pursuing your favorite game animal I encourage you to use that same passion to pursue the Lord. He'll teach you to shoot straight. We look forward to seeing you next week. Come on now. Honey's on looking for backstraps way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. When the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps.